Welcome to another spectacular word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. We're going to be continuing tonight on our COTR family Bible study series that we're doing here in 2023. And I'm so glad you're here tonight. We've been walking through our patriarchs. We've been walking through, we went through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And we are up right now to a character in the Bible, one of the sons of Jacob. You'll know him when I talk to him. But tonight we're going to be talking about Levi and uh, the demon leaders. Wow. Now, why did I include the demon leaders? Well, uh, because, you know, it really intrigues people. And they'll, they'll, they'll log on to our internet to see what I'm talking about. No, actually, we're going to be talking about some demon leaders. But we may not get to the second part of that until next week. But believe me, there'll still be some demon leaders next week whenever we get ready for that. All right? So tonight, if you would open up your Bibles to an obscure scripture. You know me. You know I love the obscure. I love to take the Word of God and find out why God wrote it there. Whenever at a face value reading, it may not look like it means a whole lot. So we're going to Exodus chapter 6 tonight. And in Exodus chapter 6, we'll be looking at one verse. And that one verse is going to be verse 16. I'll be reading from the New King James Version tonight. And uh, uh, let's, let's read this verse. And then uh, we'll launch from there. Uh, these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. Wow. Now, now we could go home. We could just shout and go home and having heard the word of God. But do you know that even though you've heard the Word of God and even though people read the Word of God and they may can put things together... Uh, you know, you don't even have to know God in order to read the Bible and put things together. Uh, but you do have to know God. You do need the Holy Spirit if you want to find the application of a word that God has written on purpose, for a purpose. The spiritual revelation and the spiritual application that comes to us in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that somehow reaches down inside of us and changes us just a little bit so that we leave the presence of God different than when we came. I, I, I can tell you it has happened to me so many times. I have experienced it sitting in church. I have experienced sitting at a red light. I have experienced it, you know, waking up in the morning. I've experienced whenever I've been going about my busy day. All of the sudden, the Holy Spirit reveals something to me that I need to pay attention to. Whether it's something I need to change and stop doing or something I need to change and start doing. It's something I need to know or embrace. You see, born-again believers in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, uh, the promised Messiah of the Jews, the Savior of the world, born-again believers in Jesus Christ, they believe in the Bible. They believe the Bible as the holy, inspired Word of Almighty God. 
we believe it cover to cover. That's what makes us different than just a Bible reader or someone who perhaps goes to church. But quoting one of the pastors who is already in heaven today, and I bet he would say the same thing. Uh, a long time ago, I heard him say that sitting in church will not make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make you a car. Okay? Um, you know, there's something that has to happen on the inside of us as we believe and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as born again believers, children of God, one of the things that comes to us is an awakening that this word is true. We believe it cover to cover. We embrace it as truth over all other claims. Here are seven things that we, as born-again believers, can confidently say about the Bible. We can confidently say that God did not intend for the Bible to, to explain everything in the universe. There are a lot of things we don't know, a lot of things the Bible does not address. The Bible uh, tells only one story. It is a story of redemption, and every time you approach God, and every time you read the Word, you need to read into it God's message of redemption, because redemption is, is the one story that God is telling. And without a scripture reflecting on how God feels about redemption, on how God feels about deliverance, on how God feels about salvation, on how God feels about uh, you know, blessing and helping, then, then we have not fully understood the Scripture and what God intended. A third thing is that God said what He meant and He meant what He said. That's something we can confidently say about the Scriptures. Now, we may not always fully understand at a first reading exactly what God meant, but God meant something specific with everything he said. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. You know, when Jesus told uh, uh, the, the Pharisees uh, and, and those standing around, you see this temple? You know, in three days we'll tear it down. Uh, it, it'll be torn down. Uh, or excuse me, it'll be torn down, and in three days I'll rebuild it. They didn't understand what he, what he meant, but he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. It's not his concern when people don't know him or don't ask him or won't approach him for an understanding of something that is complex, an understanding of something that is confusing, an understanding of something that, that, that they may not you know, uh, uh, readily see. If there's something that God's Word says that is confusing you or that somehow you know, is perplexing or, or, or you don't understand, you know you can always ask Him, just like the disciples ask Him, what do you mean by that? What is this? Uh, another thing, uh, you know, the fourth thing that we can confidently say about the Bible is that we choose to believe God. It's a choice. That's called faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. We choose to believe God. It is a choice. Tonight, you'll be presented a choice by the Holy Spirit because the Word of God calls for a choice. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. It, 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 it is necessary to divide the things from our life that confuse us when we go to the Word of God. It's called faith. We choose to believe the Word of God. That's what we can say about the Bible. We choose to believe it. That's called faith. 
A fifth thing, every word in the Bible is there for some reason. We may not fully understand what that reason is, but Scripture interprets Scripture. If you want to know what one verse means, you need to find other verses that complement it and other, other uh, passages that shine light on the same thing because God placed every verse, every word in the Bible in its place. And it means something. You know, uh, even the verse we read tonight. Uh, the sixth thing is that the Holy Spirit is our guide to God's Word. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to understand the Word of God. That's why we'll, we'll, we'll make no headway arguing with people who are not born again about things in the Bible. A person who is not born again, the Bible says the natural man cannot receive, neither can he know the things of the Spirit, because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, the things of God and the things of the Bible are foolishness to those who are not born again. What a born-again person has the capacity to understand is an opportunity to be saved. They, 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 they have that capacity. That's why with, with, with every message, we give an opportunity for people to be born again because we realize that many things that we say as a church, many things that I preach as a minister of the gospel are absolutely foreign to the human understanding. And there's no reason for me to go onto the streets and begin arguing or debating or go onto television and debating with people who are not born again. They cannot know nor can they understand. But once you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, as a guide and a teacher, becomes uh, that leader that guides us into the truth of the Word of God. And so whenever you meet someone who is not born again, let me encourage you, as you are discussing uh, uh, Scripture with them, if they want to, and many times they do want to, but they want to argue about, you know, is Jesus coming back or can God build a rock too, too heavy for him to move? All these things are just, uh, you know, uh, nutty stuff. Talk to them about salvation. Talk to them about the love of Jesus. Talk to them about, about you know, uh, the sin that can be forgiven just by request. Talk to them about an eternal relationship with a Savior who gave himself for them. That they can understand. God has given them a measure of faith, Romans 12 says. It's enough faith for them to be born again. And once they get born again, let them know God will answer these other questions in time. Okay? And uh, another thing, a seventh thing that we can say about the Word of God is that God watches over His Word to perform it. No Word of God is void of power. God watches over. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word will stand forever. That's why we can confidently trust in the Word of God and accept it and choose to believe it by faith above all other claims is because God is watching over His Word and God will perform His Word. It will not fall to the ground rootless or fruitless. With these things in mind, I want us to reread our key scripture tonight, okay? And let's allow, let's ask, let's invite the Holy Spirit, who is a gentleman and, and does, you know, like to be invited. You know, uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit to be our guide tonight so that perhaps we can understand what even this particular verse and it's in its revelation and application to our lives today. Uh, Exodus 6.16. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. 
And the years of the life of Levi were 137. Now, there are two major things that we're going to look at in Levi's life first tonight. And, and one of the things is that he was the third son of Jacob and Leah. Okay? I know that you may not know that by heart. Uh, most people cannot name the 12 tribes by heart. And they keep changing throughout the Word of God, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, here, you know, they'll trade one out for another. Joseph became two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And you're not sure when to include Levi and not. And, uh, but at any rate, as we go and look back into Genesis, uh, we, we're not turning there, Genesis 35 and verse 23, the Bible clearly shows us that Leah... Leah had, had uh, six sons in all, and uh, she had Reuben and Simeon, and then uh, she had uh, Levi. Okay? And after Levi, she had Judah, and then she had Issachar, and uh, then she had Zebulun. And so uh, Levi was simply the third son of Leah. This helps us as we're putting pieces of puzzles together so that we can rightly divide the word of truth. A second thing that we're going to look at tonight uh, about Levi is that Levi represents the priesthood. Levi represents a called and anointed shepherd. Throughout the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament revelation as we overlay our lives upon it, we can see that Levi had a calling and had an anointing to be a priest. Or in that day, to shepherd the children of God. To be that representation of God in the earth, shepherding the children of God. A standing before God for the people, but also standing before the people for God. He not only took the prayers of the people to God, but he also brought the answers from God back to the people so that they could have direction and they could have understanding. So uh, allow me to catch us up before we jump off into our text, which we're going to be going to Exodus chapter 1 in a moment. But allow me to catch us up where we are in this historical chronology that led up to our key scripture, that led up to Exodus 6.16. Uh, you may remember, we talked about it in the past few weeks, in the past two, three months, that Jacob, he made an agreement with Laban that he would work for Laban for seven years in order to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. And so they made an agreement. And so he worked seven years, and it seemed like it was just, you know, one day to him. And after seven years, he said to Laban, give me your daughter. I have fulfilled my dowry. Give me your daughter. And so on the wedding night, Laban deceived Jacob and gave the older daughter Leah to Jacob to marry. Jacob wakes up the next morning, complains about the deception, and Laban strikes another deal with him. And Laban says to him, I will also give you Rachel if you will fulfill one week with Leah and fully marry her. Then I will immediately after that week marry Rachel to you and you work for me for another seven years to pay a double dowry to marry both of my daughters. Jacob agreed. And so Jacob stayed the week with Leah, then married Rachel. As, as we continue in, in the narrative and the story, the account that God has given, Leah began to bear sons immediately. 
God opened up Leah's womb because he noted that Jacob did not love Leah, but he did love Rachel. And because of that disparity, the Bible tells us God opened up Leah's womb and closed Rachel's. And so Leah began to bear children. She had Reuben, she had Simeon, you know, she had four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, in, uh, in, in as we understand, about as many years. Perhaps only, you know, uh, uh, 12 to 13, 15 months between each one of these sons. And so by the time that Jacob and Leah had been married for four years, three to four years, Levi had been born. Rachel was barren up until the sixth year of their marriage. Now that he married both women one week apart, okay? Leah has four children during this time, four sons. And Rachel, she gets pregnant in either the fifth or the sixth year of marriage, and she delivers Joseph, her firstborn, right about that seventh year. So that Jacob had been now 14 years that he had worked for Laban, and he has the sons by Leah, he has some sons by his concubines, Bilhah and Zilpah, and he has a son by Rachel, 14 years. So that we understand that Levi is about three, no more than four years older than Joseph. Are you with me? Joseph was born in the sixth or seventh year of their marriage. Levi was born in the third or fourth year of, of their marriage. And so Levi is about three years older than, uh, than Joseph, three to four. Uh, later, six years later, the Bible's very plain about this and puts all these things. Anyone could figure this out. You don't need Jesus to figure this out. All you have to do is read. That six years later, Jacob has been in Syria for 20 years. He has served seven years for each wife and six years he ends up with all of the sheep and all of the cattle, okay? He's very plain about that. He states that just exactly like that. He moves his family back down and back west to Canaan, back to the promised land. And uh, at this time, Joseph is six years old, and Laban is about nine or ten. Excuse me, uh, Levi is about nine or ten. Now, if we fast forward, have I lost any of you yet? <laughs> Please hang with me, okay? If we fast forward to the next time we see Joseph, it's in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph is 17 years old, and he has a dream. Well, when he is 17, his brothers sell him into slavery to the Egyptians. Levi was a part of that selling his brother. 
when Joseph was 17 and sold into Egypt, his brother was 20. Okay? Levi was 20. They're pretty close in age. Fast forward, okay, another 23 years, Joseph is 40. He's been in Egypt 23 years. Levi is now 23. Excuse me, 43. Jacob moves his family down into Egypt whenever Joseph is 40. The Bible's very plain about this. And Joseph was 40 years old. When his, you know, when his family, when Jacob moved down into, that, that's how we put all this together. And so we know Levi was about 43. Are you still with me? Let's take one more step. Okay. Fast forward another 17 years. And Jacob dies. He was 130 years old, the Bible says, when he moved down into Egypt with his family. And he died when he was 147 years old. So when, when Joseph was 40, Levi was 43, Daddy was 130. So you get 17 years added on to that. And you find out here that... that Joseph, when daddy died, when Jacob died, Joseph is 57 years old. And um, his brother is 60. Are we there? Okay. Let's at least get that far. Because the Bible tells us that Joseph died when he was 110 years old. When Joseph was 110, Levi was 113. And we just read in Exodus 6, in verse 16, the only place where the Bible gives the age of another brother at his death. And that is Levi. Levi was 137. Joseph died at 110. Levi was 113. Levi lived another 23, 24 years. And as we understand, was the oldest living brother, the last one of Jacob's sons to die. And after Levi died, it would be another 257 years before Moses was born. How do we know? Because the children of Israel came out of Egypt when Moses was 80. And they were in Egypt 430 years. And here we have Levi living in Egypt for 94 of his 137 years. And so he's got 257 years after his death before Moses is born. 337 years before the children of Israel go out of Egypt to the promised land. That's a long time. 257 years before God sent a deliverer. That's a decade longer than the United States of America since the Declaration of Independence 247 years ago. That's a pretty long period, isn't it? 
Okay, I did all of that for us to go to Exodus chapter 1. And in Exodus, the first chapter, uh, we find a few verses into which these 257 years are compacted into nine short verses. That's a long time. I came about this out of a question that I asked God. As I was reading the Bible uh, while I was in India, and I read through Exodus 6 and verse 16, and I saw where God took time to mention how old Levi was, God took time to point out that Levi, as we understand, was the last living son of Jacob. That God chose for him to live longer than anyone else. It would look like Joseph would have lived longer. He was a protector and a defender. You know, he was the one that, that, that started the whole thing. He was the one that, that, that knew you know, the, the Pharaoh, he was the one that, 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 you know, saved the whole nation. You know, God cares about the world being saved. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God so loved even Egypt that he sent Joseph down there to save all of Egypt from famine and to save all of the family of Israel from famine in the land of Egypt, in the world. But it wasn't Joseph that was chosen. It wasn't Judah that was chosen. You know, it wasn't Issachar that was chosen. And they all have their roles, Judah being the tribe of praise and, and, and Issachar being a tribe of prophets to understand the times and the seasons, to know what the people of God should do and to know what the children of Israel, I mean, there, there are all kinds of people that play different roles that it could have been, but it wasn't. And so I asked God the question in my Bible reading, as I often do, I said, God, why did you choose Levi? To live longer than anyone else. You see, this is a habit we all need to be in, that we would invite the Holy Spirit into our Bible reading. In fact, I would encourage you, especially in, in, uh, uh, when you hear preaching, whenever you hear praise and worship, to invite the Holy Spirit and say, Lord Jesus, you know, uh, what does this mean? What, does, what, what, what is the revelation of what I'm hearing, Lord? What does your word mean? And, you know, come Holy Spirit, show me something for me. That's what I was doing in India. Show me something. Help me to understand because this scripture, verse 6, uh, you know, chapter 6, verse 16, just jumped off the page that he lived to be 137. And I know I like numbers and things on that line, but, but, but that, just, that just seemed odd to me, strange to me. And I said, God, help me to understand, why did you choose to let him live that long. And so God took me on this wonderful journey of just what I've shared with you and all the background and all the wonderful information. And then he gave me revelation and inspiration and he gave me application for my life. And then he inspired me this week to share this with you. You see, even when the children of God were right in the middle of God's will, even when... They were right in the place where God put them. Even when the children of God were in the perfect will of God, right in the place where God had them to be, yet they experienced trouble. Yet they experienced injustice. 
even when they were in the very middle of that 430 years, all the way to the end. You see, you can be right where God wants you. You can be doing what He wants you to do, like He wants you to do, where He wants you, when He wants you, and right in the middle of His plan. But because you're in the world, you can still be experiencing trouble and trial and tribulation and even injustice. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed this, you know, I mean, reading this account, a person understands a little more about the family of God. You see, God chose Levi, I believe, because Levi represents the priesthood. Levi represents a shepherd. Levi represents a, a, a person of God, a, a, a father, a mother, someone who cares, someone who will stand before God for the people, and someone who will stand before the people for God, somebody who will take care of God's family like the Levites did. That's what they represent, and I believe that's why God chose Levi, is because God, more than anything else, knew that they were going to need a shepherd. They were going to need somebody that would care about them and pray for them, somebody that, that not only would do that, but would be honest with them and would help them to know God. He knew that somebody was going to take care of the family, Family need uh, that the family's going to need taken care of in the world, in Egypt, in the place where he had sent them, because things were going to get worse. You know, God knows today that we need a shepherd. Because he sent us to a place that, by the way, it's not going to get a lot better. Do you know that? We're getting better in it, and we're saving people out from it. But the Bible says the world will wax worse and worse. And here in these nine verses we're going to read, listen, listen and as we start in verse 6 of Exodus 1. And Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Verse 11, therefore the Egyptians set taskmasters over them to afflict the children of God with their burdens. No, not just burdens, but to make their burdens worse. And they built, the children of God built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more that the Egyptians afflicted the children of Israel, the more the children of Israel multiplied and grew. And the Egyptians were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter. Hard bondage. Now, look, the children of Israel were right in the will of God. They were where God wanted them, when God wanted them. They had obeyed God and followed God, but they were in a wicked and a terrible world. And God knew that the children of Israel were going to experience trouble and burdens and injustice. 
And what did he do? He gave them a shepherd. As long the, the oldest living, the, the oldest living brother was the priesthood. Someone that would go to God on their behalf and would bring God to them. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them to serve was with rigor, with hardships. You know, life was hard, as it is today. 257 years put in those few verses we just read. Because next, Moses is going to be born. And we'll get to talk about some demon leaders and the plan of the devil to destroy the plan of God. We all wake up in a world in trouble. Did you notice when you woke up this morning, you woke up in a world of trouble? And that's what we do when we go to the book of Exodus. When we read the book of Exodus, we can only get 14 uh, you know, uh, verses into it, I mean, less than that. And all of a sudden we realize that one day, even though God sent the children of Israel down and Joseph was a great man and, 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 and Egypt loved Joseph and, and they were given the best of the land and, and, and they had the run of the place for a while, yet one day they woke up in trouble. The whole world today woke up in trouble. Sometimes we can wake up in trouble. And when we do, God's going to do the same thing for us that he did for the children of Israel. He sent them a shepherd in that he sent Moses. He sent us a shepherd in that he sent Jesus. He's into sending shepherds, by the way. He's into sending those who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. He looked for people who would shepherd his children. He said, I will set pastors, shepherds over them that have my heart. That was his plan. The leaders of that day were afraid of the children of Israel. We'll call it the church in our day. How does this apply to our day? The leaders of the world are afraid of the church. Why? Because the power of God is with us. And you know what? The more that we are afflicted, the more we multiply and grow. You go to any nation where they try to shut the church down and watch it grow. The more you're afflicted. Why? It is a principle of God. But the world is afraid of the growth potential and the power of the church. And once, once uh, um, uh, embraced... Um, these leaders become a real blessing to a nation. The godly leaders. Egypt was saved by a son of Israel. Egypt was saved by Joseph, a son of Israel. Whole cities, nations are still being saved by men and women who are called and ordained by God to take that community in their heart, to take that ministry into their heart, to take that outreach into their heart, to take that people group into their heart and become a child of God, a shepherd for the house of God and to care. Take them to God and take God, bring God to them. The world set taskmasters over the Jews. They made it hard on them. But they could not destroy the love of God. They could not destroy the purpose or the plan of God in their lives. They still can't. God blessed and multiplied his children anyway. The children of God held on to the promise of God. They continued to believe God. They believed God for a Messiah. The Jews today are still believing God for a Messiah. 
Why? Because they believe that God's answer is to send a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Next Wednesday, we're going to discover how far these demon leaders went uh, trying to stop the plan of God. But for this evening, let me give you takeaways before we close this evening. Number one takeaway uh, tonight is that every verse in the Bible is important to the one story God is telling. We need to realize, even when we read through the, the, through the begats, that God is doing something powerful. We may not understand it at the moment, but we will in time, but it has an important place. Every verse in the Bible is important to the one story God is telling. And remember, it is a story of redemption. This is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for knowledge, for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works that we can do what God wants us to do because every Scripture is inspired by God. A second takeaway is that we should invite the Holy Spirit to guide us to truth. Let me encourage you every day in a personal way as you open up your Bible. The first thing I do every morning is open up my Bible. You know that's my habit. I did it again this morning. I'll do it again in the morning should the Lord tarry. And I will open up my Bible and I will ask the Holy Spirit, show me what this means. Give me revelation and give me application of this word today in my life. That's what you need to do when you come to church. God, here's your chance, Lord. Speak to me. Holy Spirit, I invite you. Guide me into truth. As we're worshiping, I stand over there. Lord, guide me into truth. You know, invite the Holy Spirit. You know, tell me. Tell me what you want me to hear. Not what Pastor Ron is trying to say, but what are you trying to say to me, God? And then uh, number three uh, on our takeaways is, is our world is in trouble. And people need a shepherd more than anything else. They need somebody who will take them to God and somebody who will bring God to them. The world is in trouble. And, uh, you know, we all wake up in the world in trouble. We wake up every day in a world in trouble. Your family needs a shepherd. Someone to pray for them and someone to teach them. That's why God left Levi. That's why he sent Moses. That's why he sent Jesus. You know, uh, he does not leave us without a shepherd. And the last takeaway that we'll share tonight, number four, is that the more the church is afflicted, the more it will multiply and grow. Don't worry that something's going to come along and God's plan is going to fail. It won't. Okay? The more we are afflicted, the more we multiply and grow. We don't want to be afflicted. We do not want to be troubled, but we wake up in trouble. And when the devil comes to destroy you, your confidence, your trust, your joy, your peace, realize you are in line for a blessing. You're in line for a blessing. Don't despair. You'll be better. Just don't let it make you bitter. Hey, thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hemmons, visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.